My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello and welcome to She Starts It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that celebrates incredible, inspiring women who are at the top of their industries, from food to fashion, law to politics. This is a podcast about celebrating female entrepreneurship, power and potential, exploring what it really takes to be a trailblazer in today's world. I'm your host, entrepreneur and journalist Angelica Malin, and every week I'll be asking a new guest for their three career turning points and answering the question we've all wondered at some point, how did she start it? She Starts It with Angelica Malin is kindly sponsored by Bloom and Wild. If you're like me and you love having fresh flowers around you while you're relaxing at home, but I hate having to carry them around with me all day, and who's ever home long enough to arrange a delivery anymore? Bloom and Wild have got us covered. They're the UK's top-rated online florist, and they deliver right to your letterbox. So you can get fresh buds ready to flower, they can last up to 10 days, and you don't even have to worry about being home for the delivery. They'll give you £10 off your first order with the code SHE. Straight and simple, S-H-E. They offer free next day delivery up to 10pm. They ship across the UK, France and Germany, so they've got you covered. So head on over to blueandwild.com, use the offer code SHE so they know I sent you, and treat yourself. So I'm joined this week by Karen Gill. Karen is the co-founder of Every Woman, the membership organisation that seeks to advance all women in business by increasing their number and raising their status in the economic community. Every Woman's ambition is to become the world's largest and most influential business network, inspiring generations of businesswomen to achieve their own ambitions and helping organisations realise the full potential of their entire talent pool. Prior to founding Every Woman, Karen had an international career as a vice president for Intercontinental Hotel Group, working across Asia and e. How do I say that? E-M-E-A? And EMEA. Europe, Middle East and Africa. <laughs> EMEA. And together with Every Woman co-founder Maxine Benson, Karen was appointed the MBE in 2009 in recognition of her service to women's enterprise. And in 2017, the government's Women's Business Council recognised their outstanding commitment to the advancement of women in business. Absolutely amazing. And a topic so after my own heart. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do now? Uh, what we do now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so we are having our 20th anniversary this year, which is quite incredible. As you can imagine, you know, there's been a lot of difference in this particular area over the past two decades. But the work we do now is um, really sort of building momentum on uh, taking the whole area of, around women in business and making sure that it touches every generation and that everybody can participate, both men and women, in the advancement of women, because still the landscape's pretty poor. Mm. Well, it's amazing that you've <clears throat> been running the business for 20 years and you must have seen so many changes in that time, because I feel like women in business has really boomed in the last kind of two, three years, where it suddenly became female entrepreneurship, everyone was talking about it, 
everyone was mm-hmm. doing events. But you must have seen that change so much over the years you've been running the business. Yeah, it's kind of been, um, was very, very uphill. Mm-hmm. It was like pushing treacle uphill. Um, and it was hard because it was, you know, we were banging on doors and wanting to engage the business community. And they were very um, sceptical, um, both men and women. A lot of very senior women were very sceptical about um being engaged in that in that conversation didn't want to be seen to be singled out because of their sex um, whereas now actually everybody and based on the fact that we now have evidence and research that says there is um, significant difference in the way that men and women interact at work engage at work and what motivates them in their careers and so um, I think today we're at a point of knowledge and, and, a, and a good knowledge based on research and I think that it's a complex subject because it's not one generic thing that you can say if the world did this, women would um, have a better time at work or find it easier at work. It's a very complex Mm. issue. It's interesting that you said that there were senior women who were also quite opposed to it. Why why do you think that was? Um, Because they didn't want to be, they didn't want the achievements and and what they had achieved and the success that they had, um, I guess, belittled in any way or um, belittled, not the right word. They, They wanted to, they didn't want to be singled out as the reason that where they were was because it had anything to do with their gender. There was also a belief, you know, Saturism and all, all of that, this programme on TV about her at the moment, that anybody could be successful mm-hmm. as long as you had the, the bravado um, and, you know, you went at it the right way, which actually I think pe- most people know we're not all the same anymore. Yeah. And um, and so, therefore, what's easy for one person is not necessarily easy for another. Mm-hmm. And, and unless you were in that kind of able to adopt that alpha male type of persona it was very very difficult mm, mm, interesting for yeah. both men and women actually yeah, really yeah yeah both men and women. um so i'd like to rewind a little bit and come back uh to your early days and, and before you launched the business um i asked all my guests in advance to provide me with a few turning points which sometimes can be quite hard when you're looking back to mm. work out what it was that that led to where you are now but could you tell me a little bit about the first one that you chose so I think the first turning point in my career, I fell into my career, as a lot of people do. I was just, you know, I was traveling around the world. I ended up in Australia. I got a job um, as a reservationist at Intercontinental Hotels. I had no, there was no forward vision for me about a career. It was a job. Um, and then I actually quite liked it. And then I found actually I was quite good at it. And then I got promoted. I got into the sales and marketing part of the business. Um, they were building a new hotel down there at the time, which was an incredible project to be involved in. And then the woman that I worked for wasn't particularly great at her job. She was the the national marketing manager. And so we were out with her boss and I just happened to say, I I think I should go for that job. And he was very taken aback. I think I was 24 years of age at the time. And he said, you know what? I think you can have a shot at it. Um, And so I I, I guess it was just putting it out there and just seeing what happened. And it it did. And then, of course, it was like, oh, God. Um, And that's really when I started to think, gosh, you know, I'm quite good at something. I love what I'm doing. I love who I'm working for and where I'm working. And I'm going to take this a bit more seriously. So that's when I kind of was the first turning point for me. Have you always been quite ballsy when when it's come to work? Um, Yeah, I suppose so. As a person, I'm quite... I was very lucky. I mean, my mother was very brave. She started her own business in the early 70s. Quite interesting because my father had to be the counter signature on her business account. Really? Yeah. 
So things have changed. Yeah, <laughs> for the better. And so then you, you took on that job and then where did you go from there? And then, I, you know, I was, I, I, I think there was combination of things and again you often hear this obviously I've met thousands and thousands and thousands of women and men who have had great careers and you often hear that it's when that whole thing of luck meets with you being in the right place and doing the right thing and having the right mindset and so you know being in Australia Australia was on a real uh, trajectory in terms of getting itself on the world map economically and as a tourist destination I was working in the tourism industry um, and so and I was just very lucky I had fantastic people I worked for interestingly I managed I met up with my old boss he's just turned 80 and I was able to thank him because he was an incredible supporter of young talent and um, I really, really did nurture and look after and bring on and give people opportunity and took chances on young talent. So, mm. And so, how long were you in Australia for? Oh, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And then I woke up one day and said to my then boyfriend, I, I, I want to go, you know, want to do something different. I think it's time to go back to Europe. So again, put it out. That's the second turning point in my career. And um, what, so, what did the then boyfriend say? Yeah, why not? Uh, so he was also English. He's now my husband, 30 odd years. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, again, I just put it out there and said, I'm interested in, in work, staying with the company, but working in a different country. So they come up with New York and London, and it was easier for my husband to work in London because he was working in the financial markets than it was New York. So we chose to come back to London, which was great also, because it meant I, meant I came back to my home, home and um, got time to spend, you know, my family. And what did that first job teach you? What kind of skill sets were you developing there? The first, my very first the job. Very, yeah, uh, the, the, one, uh, the one in Australia. Uh, well, Australia taught me a lot. Australia <coughs> taught me even to be more ballsy. Uh, Australia is an amazing, has an amazing culture in as much as they are not interested in where you're educated, where you were educated, how you taught, where you're from, as long as you work hard. And if you work hard and play hard, you're a good sort. And you're respected. And, and I, it was the first time when I first went out there, you know, you, you would be in social situations with people across all sorts of different backgrounds, professions. And I love that about Australia. And so that taught me that anybody could be anything, mm. um, which I guess gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. How does that landscape compare to here, do you think? Well, at the time when I left here, I mean, we think politically it's in a mess now, but back in, 19, in the late 70s, it was an absolute disaster, mm. you know, with the three-day working week, pit strikes all the time, power cuts, you know, and it was, but the landscape was hard. It was hard to get on or it was hard to get out of your perceived um, place of where you should be. So I left school, didn't want to go to university, went to secretarial college, and my my future looked like being a secretary for the rest of my life. Mm. So yeah, that's that's how different it was. Was that was that the culture you were brought up in? Like, do you think that that's what girls were told? Yeah. Oh gosh, very stereotyped career choice, and unfortunately, I hate to tell you that it still is. We do a lot of work around. Um, we have a charity called Modern Muse, and we do a lot of work. Excuse me, around um, getting young girls from the age of eleven, and some you know even younger if you can to look outside stereotyped career choice because it's still, you know, careers advice and especially, you know, the lower down the economic scale you are and the more you go out into to areas, you know, where it's tougher, mm. the more stereotyped that is. Mm. 
Well, I interviewed a fantastic girl earlier called Georgina Kirby who studied maths and went on to create a health tech company. And she was saying that she felt like she wasn't encouraged to do maths and no. when she got it wrong she was told by the teachers oh you're no good at maths and she was a six-year-old and she said how could a six-year-old be good or bad we mm. i could have just learned and her parents said to her, you know keep trying with it but i very early on gave up on maths because i thought that's not for me and i i now realize that's quite a gendered um it still happens happenings. Yeah. yeah yeah definitely and it's really important because it's critical that girls go in get the same opportunity to study subjects that are going to be the careers of the future. Otherwise, you've heard about the gender pay gap and, you know, just the, the gender gaps there are in enterprise, in pay and in, in high um, paid jobs. That's going to get worse if we don't get girls encouraged to study those subjects. Mm. Well, which leads us nicely on to every woman. So yeah. you went, you came back to London and then how did you get to where you are now? Like, how did the business start? How did you meet your co-founder? So I came back to London and um, I was having a great career. Sometimes I think, gosh, I can't believe I left it. Um, and In hotels? In, in, yeah, I stayed with Intercontinental for 15 years. They were an amazing um, investor in their people. So I did, had a lot of training, did a lot of training programs and development work. So it was great. Um, so I then had my son, which has been, is, is a turning point for lots and lots of women. And um, realised that actually, if I wanted to spend any time with him, then this career and where I was at the time is not going to work because I spent every week travelling. I you know, covered a wide territory um, and my husband was working full time. So the decision was actually, well, I'll take a bit of a back seat for a while. Um, and it was whilst on maternity leave and I met lots of other women um, who were having babies, obviously, and that uh, they came from a variety of professions, lawyers, accountants, all sorts of things that were all struggling with the same thing. And of course, it is really hard to remember the landscape back then mm. because there was just wasn't the technology to enable flexible working. Mm. So flexible working didn't really exist in those types of um, jobs. So it is hard to imagine a life without mobile phones and um, email. Mm. So email, email had only just really come on the map in the late 90s. Um, there was no such thing as texting on mobile phones. Mobile phones were just for making voice calls. And um, so, we, so we often say that technology has revol revolutionised uh, women's lives, you know, in the sort of 90s as the pill did for women in the 50s and the 60s because mm. it just enabled a much bigger, um, mm. it enabled more flexibility and choice. And I imagine maternity leave must have been quite isolated and awful. lonely because you're suddenly it was awful. totally out of a job rather than having any level of connection or... Yeah, yeah and that I community. found it really, really hard. Yeah. And, I, and I didn't have that many friends that were having babies at the same time. And, um, yeah, I can remember once pushing... Um, my son in the, in the pram around a park looking at all these other women sitting there having picnic with their babies hoping they were going to invite me to join them really? it really was you very isolating because mm. now we have so many like apps for meeting yes, other mums exactly. one of the ladies I interviewed has started an app that allows you to find people in your area and yeah, all the stuff that exists mm. now that just that just didn't um, you know a handful of years ago yeah so it was whilst doing that suddenly realised that there was this whole community of women that were very highly skilled because of course the other thing that has changed dramatically over the last 30 years is the age when a woman has her first child has moved by a decade from your early 20s to your early 30s mm. so you are having your first baby and starting family life 
you know, having had a huge amount of experience in the workplace under your belt. And a lot of women don't want to just give that up mm. or, you know, they, there's, there are parts of work that they enjoy. And so that's why I think there was a, 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 there's, there's been a difference and there's been a shift to women thinking, well, I'm not actually just going to be full time in the home. Mm. And that was when we sort of noticed women starting up businesses. Mm. And, you know, as a marketing person, I looked at that and think there's a real increase in the number of women that are starting their own businesses. What's forcing that? Well, that's what was forcing that. And then and how is that experience? And, this, you know, actually what we really uncovered was quite um frustrating really because they were we always say when we sort of tapped into what was around at the time for business advice I was actively discouraged from starting a business by the business advisor rather than encouraged you know what what was I thinking you know just got a small baby could I read a balance sheet you know I'd run a budget of 60 million (laughs) dollars you know this is yeah I can read a balance sheet so um yeah, so that's so that's what like, the idea popped, and 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 Maxine, who I've known since we were in our early twenties, was living in New York, and she said, "Oh God, we've got to look at this internet stuff. This is really fascinating." And um, so she, sh- you know, I got online with my modem, crackly modem, and looked at woman.com and a few other female um, websites that had been launched in the states. Thought this is really really neat. And so that's that's how the idea for everyone. And how did out. it go from an idea into a reality? Like, what what did it look like setting up the business? What did the early days look like? Well, the early days, I was a screaming child in a in a cot by the side of me, um, and just lots of research, lots and lots of research around. Did it have legs? My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Actually, we did lots of focus groups and, and, and it was like lifting the lid off Pandora's box. Really? And so we then sort of did a couple of sketches of what a website might look like, what content it might contain. And we went off with those boards, actually, and took them to IBM and said, what do you think about this? And they said, yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because we do quite a lot of work with female entrepreneurs in the States, but we don't in the UK. So we'll give you 15 grand to, to get it built. Really? So they were our first sponsor, and we still work with them twenty years later, which That's is great. Amazing. And um, so they, 
because they, they, as a company, have been very pioneering around all sorts of different diversity, um, but, you know, quite big around gender. Uh, and so we did our first. Um, so we yes, yeah, so we built the website, and actually, interestingly, was like, gosh, not a lot of people are coming to this website. And so I, it was IBM that said you should do a conference. Let's hear what these women have got to say. So we ran our first conference in the year two thousand, and it was as, just like we couldn't shut them up. It was like at last somebody's listening to us, mm-hmm. and and they all had the same kind of themes about where they were finding it particularly frustrating or challenging, mm-hmm. um, and that's how the business started to go into events rather than just be a website. Mm-hmm. And actually, looking back, we were trying to create a social network online in 1999 with a dial-up modem and actually most of the women that came to the, our first conference didn't even have an email address mm. so it was like we were a little bit ahead of the curve a little bit <laughs> yeah so your business model kind of shifted yeah. with time based on what people wanted to do and, and based on where the en- energy was I guess exactly so we did those all around the country those events and and at, we get, got more and more companies that had an interest in the market of female entrepreneurs I had an interest in the market of entrepreneurs, but actually wanted to know, was there any difference in female and male entrepreneurs? NatWest was one of those. We still work with them today very closely on their women in business proposition. Yeah. Um, and they were they couldn't believe what they were hearing in terms of how they, how they were getting it quite wrong. And so they were able to listen and adapt their service and service proposition and you know their products and how it was uh, all a bit clunky in the beginning you know, yeah. the shrink it and pink it thing was going on whereas yeah. it's a much more sophisticated thing now yeah well I recently did a campaign with NatWest and it was about women with imposter syndrome oh yeah this research yeah. and I was part of that and I think it's amazing that they are opening up these conversations mm. and, and taking the data and then humanising it mm. um, when you first approached these brands to work with you what was the well, that's an interesting like? question so when we first approached NatWest we met um, the head of business banking and he said we will never do anything specifically for women because we don't believe in discriminating or separating a service or a product out and adjusting it for somebody's gender and of course now they have an entire proposition that is specifically focused on um, female entrepreneurship and, and we have been on that journey with them so we we run their um, women in business training there and it's an accredited program for all of their sort of frontline business managers, men and women, so that they really understand the differences and and gender behaviour difference based Mm -hmm. on scientific evidence around how women communicate differently, how they receive and respond to messages much uh, more differently. Different, more differently. Is that the right expression? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Go with it. Well, financial feminism seems to be the big thing now where we're opening up conversations about money with women and realising that bank managers and financial advisors perhaps haven't been the best place to talk to women about mm. money and they haven't treated them with a huge amount of respect. I, I read a book over the weekend that's on financial feminism and she said when she went to meet with a financial advisor, he said, where's your husband? And that was last year. And it's like, I know, these, that's, that's horrific. It's terrible. Last year, yeah. I know, I mean, but these... These attitudes are still there. Mm. Um, and I do think women perhaps find it hard to talk about money sometimes. Mm. And the fun, fundraising, funding side of business is more a lot more of a challenge for mm-hmm. women. It is. So we have a lot of work to do. What are some of the core focuses for your business now? What are you trying to change? 
Um, what are we trying to change? We're not trying to change anything. We're trying to continue to evolve, uh, to evolve the conversation, actually to really, really engage the younger generation, you know, uh, so that they are aware of it much earlier in their career. Again, both men and women. I think the big change that we've seen over the last 20 years, apart from obviously the technology which has afforded that flexibility I talked about, but the big change is men men coming into the conversation Mm. and wanting the change because they can see the benefits for them, for their businesses, as well as their, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) their culture, you know, in in their businesses. We always sort of, you know, there's been a, there's, in two decades, there's a lot of change. And so one of the changes, especially in corporate life, is that the CEOs of today have got the same ambitions and aspirations for their daughters as they do their sons, where that wasn't the case 20 years ago. Mm. It was still very much that the sons went and got the private education and, you know, got the focus on their career. Um, so that's been that's that's seen a shame, change in the culture. I feel like we've seen a lot of a lot of um, talk about the evolution and men, and I, so so I think what our work today is is handing over the baton really mm-hmm. of every woman, and our vision is every woman everywhere to to you and to and to your generation to make it what you need to make it for equality in the workplace today, mm-hmm. um, and I think men are very much need to be involved in that mm-hmm. because. They've got everything to gain from it too. I know we've seen a, a real increase in women starting businesses. Do you, have yeah. you also seen a huge increase in senior level women, or do you think there's still some way to go? There's a huge way to go, but we've seen increases, so it's going in the right way. Mm. But there is still a long way to go, mm. and um, because you still hear stories like that, mm. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. And on the gender pay gap, um, mm. what are some? I've spoken so much on this series about the gender pay gap with so many different people. What are some of the ideas that you have, do you think, will actually work to help us solve the gender pay gap? And what would you like to see the government, next government do? do? The gender pay gap, I think, has been a really great piece of legislation. Not because of the data, and you know, I know people are critical about how robust the data is, but because it took the focus, it's taken, it's, A, it's made people understand the difference between the gender pay gap and equal pay. Um, and, you know, secondly, what it's done is it's put the focus into it's about careers mm-hmm. and it's the careers that women are going into that's causing the gender pay gap or the fact that they're not getting into senior positions fast as, as quickly as men. Um, and so that's the focus. So if you take companies like um, we work very closely with Celebrity Cruises, fantastic organisation doing a lot of work around all diversity. And they've got a real initiative to get more female captains of their ships because they know that's where the biggest gaps are being created, mm. um, as are some of the airlines with getting more pilots, you know, female pilots. So I think it's only 6% of the world pilots are female. Shocking. Mm. Um, so there is a long way to go, but that's that's what I think has been great about the gender pay gap legislation. Mm. And I know that lots of other countries, um, you know, are adopting it. So that's great. Ireland, Canada, we're going to Canada in July. Um, and, you know, going back to where it, what, what's our work at Everyone Today, our work at Everyone Today is to become really global. Mm. Um, and we, I have a real desire to create a really great global network for women because I think it's really important mm. to what, have a really great inter- uh, mixed cultural network. Mm. What do you think about things like all-female fem- all shortlists to try and um, alleviate the gender pay gap? 
I don't agree with all female shortlists. I think they should be 50-50. I think what what the recruiters should be doing and what the companies, you know, that we work with say works best is when they get 50-50. So they're they're working from a level playing field. And then, of course, it's the best candidate for the job. Mm. Talk to me about the business um, and the realities of running a business Mm. like Mm. every woman. What's been some of the biggest challenges and perhaps is there any particular moment that's been particularly challenging? Every small business owner will tell you the same thing, that the challenges are just so multifaceted. And it's quite interesting having had half my career being in a big corporate global organisation to a very, very small business with 18 people, which which is what we are now. And I always liken it to, um, you know, being on the seas in a great big liner that you've got a whole crew and you've got all the expertise on board to get you to your destination. Um, but if you want to turn around quickly, that's a very hard thing to do. Mm. And it takes a lot of effort to, to change and to... to um, to tack. Whereas in a little business, you're like bobbing about in this um, little yacht that's getting smacked every which way from, you know, the liners when they go past and the waves. But actually, you can tack yourself out of trouble very, very quickly. Mm. Um, and that's what I love about small business, actually. If you've got a very quick mind and you love creating and you love innovating, you can you can take challenges and spin them about and work out where is the opportunity? Where's the, where's the opportunity in this mess? Mm. Um, but but that's that's that requires a lot of energy. So I, I think most business owners will tell you, and when they've been in business for a long time, they've grown a business that it takes an extraordinary amount of energy because you're pulled in so many different ways. You know, one minute you're dealing with something from a legal perspective, the next minute a client may not be satisfied with something or something's gone wrong. You, no end of staff issues. You know, trying to make the right environment in a small business and with not being able to give all the same kind of benefits is really hard. So you've got to think about how you make it motivating for the people that are working for you. And how do you build up your emotional resilience as a founder when things go wrong or really big challenges? Does it help to have a co-founder? Like, how do you find that inner strength to keep going, Mm. keep having that energy? That's an interesting one because I think everybody looks at mine and Maxine's uh, work relationship, well, relationship, because it's holistic, really, and always say, how, how have you done it? Because we've known each other for 38 years and uh, worked together, and we work as close as this. So we work, in, you know, facing each other on back-to-back deaths, and we have done for 20 years. Um, and I, I think we are incredibly fortunate because I know that there have been times when, you know, it's really got her down, and I've been able to be the booster and vice versa. Mm. Um, and, you know, over 20 years, we've been through some hell, you know, some times. You know, we've both lost our parents. At, uh, you know, so we've dealt with a lot of emotional stuff. And so we've been able to be a support for each other. And I cannot imagine not having that. I cannot imagine being a founder and shutting the door and it's just me. Mm. Yeah, that challenge of when you're alone in something, I suppose it's just you're, you're bolstered by... Well, I guess you've got, your other, you've got your other, you've got your network and mm. you've got your family and your friends, mm. but it is great to have somebody that actually knows 100% what the issue is mm. and what's causing. I think because of social media, we're seeing a, <clears throat> a real advent in solopreneurs and people starting businesses on, on their own because they have all these tools at their disposal, which is amazing. But I do think that there is a real emotional side to it where you, you can start a business and then you're working from home and it's very isolated. And mm. people perhaps don't realise the, the realities of, of what that actually looks like, this kind of Instagram vision of business, um, that it can be very lonely. 
It can stressful. be very lonely. It can, it can very be very tough, mm. and things just come out of the blue, not not you know how you expect it. So yeah. you know we've had some really challenging things happen with us. I think you know we've had fraud in the business. We've had all sorts of different things that you deal with. And actually, when you speak to other business owners, they've all had the same. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> legal things. Sometimes yeah. I wake up and I'm like, what's going to happen today? Yes, exactly. The journey, <laughs> journey of life. So you were appointed an MBE in 2009. How mm. did that feel? That must be a very proud moment. Yeah, it was funny, really, because I really it was just out of the blue. wasn't expected at all. That was a funny one with Max and I, because of course you got the letter, and I thought, well, I wonder if she's had one. <laughs> Who's going to make the first call? Well, she hasn't. Uh, and actually, it was very sweet because we went together and we were seen called out, and they said, "Would you like to go and collect them together?" and we said yes. This was, took us in some side room and made us do synchronised curtsying. Uh, and I was actually very, very grateful that we had the Queen. She was delightful. Uh, she doesn't do many of them anymore. And she is one of my all-time heroes. Yeah, I guess so. I don't really think about it. I don't really think about it anymore. But at the time, it was quite special. My father was still alive and he came. And yeah, it's nice. It was nice to be recognised for the work that we had done. Mm. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you've been doing this work for so long. I know I don't mean that sound patronising, but I think now we're seeing like all these companies popping mm. up talking about women in business. Now every magazine's got their Women in Business Awards. And there's so much stuff that I sometimes feel a bit sceptical about because I mm. think it's a trend and it's. I don't think women should be fashionable. I think no, it exactly. Be, right. so, well, know, actually, do you know, you, you say that's quite funny because when we first started and we did a bit of consultation work with the government, they were putting together a strategic framework for women in business and they called us a theme. And I've never forgotten about it. And Max and I still say, oh, what, that theme. Oh, yeah, women, that's right. <laughs> women, the theme that. of women. Theme of You're women. right, we should not be a trend. And we do, we've seen a lot of those trends mm. come and go, actually, a lot of initiatives that come and go. And I think that one of the things that Max and I are so proud of is the fact that we started this because we saw a genuine need. And as we've gone along, we've become more and more passionate about it. And it wasn't a passion that we then started. We actually recognised that something needed to be done and we started to do it. And But as we've gone on, we've become more and more passionate about it. Yeah. Passionate about it. And um, and I think you're... But, but you know what? People know. They spot. They can see when somebody's on the bandwagon and just doing it for their own profile mm. as opposed to doing it doing something because they really see something's unjust or they want to fix something. Mm. Do you have any tips if people are thinking of starting their own awards, what's really worked for your company? I think integrity. Mm. I mean, I, it's, I, I've resi- I remember resigning off a judging panel once because there just wasn't really any robustness around the judging. There wasn't really any integrity about it. It was just a money-making exercise. And I think, if, and, and, and always put your shoes in the recipient of the award, uh, you know, of the award, they want to, if you give somebody a award, they want to know that it's really been genuine. It's been given in recognition of genuine work. So, yeah, we're really proud of our awards. And our judging panels are tough, mm. but rightly so. So we've got some of the world's best female entrepreneurs, Chrissy Rucker, the founding of the White Company, Kath Kidson, people like that are on our judging panel, and they are really thorough in their you know their research yeah make it real make, make it, it real yeah <laughs> amazing um, thank yeah, you so much <laughs> make it real basically thank you so much for joining me if people would like to find out more about you and the company where should they go online oh easy everyone.com fantastic and is there anything coming up that you'd like to promote 
Anything coming up? Well, we've got lots of awards open. In fact, our awards for female entrepreneurs and that West Everyone Awards have just opened. We're launching on Thursday, actually. Um, so I, I think my tip would be is always enter those awards. Um, you might not feel ready, but you, you, you know, it's good practice anyway to keep writing your story and honing that. Um, because as a female, as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you've got to be self-promoting. Mm. Um, so that's always a good tip. But yeah, no, I think that's, I think the other thing is, is just to get involved in the conversation and get involved in the community of women in business because you need lots and lots of support as you go further and further into your you career. You need people around you, don't you? Yeah, you need people around you. As Mrs May's just found out. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to She Starts It with Angelica Malin. If you've enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jelly Malin. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.